Um, after that, I sat on panels with Howard Gordon. I've read about, and he was also one of the co-creators of um, uh, of Homeland. And he has said that once Twenty Four came out, like a season or season, maybe a season in, he goes, "I got contacted by some Muslim groups, something called Care, and some others who said, listen, the way you're depicting Muslims is having an effect on real world, you know, on the real world." And they mm -hmm. pointed out the violence that had risen against Muslims and the sort. So he seemed to be open to, you know, looking at other things. And I was always happy when like the, the main villain ended up being German or like Russian. I was like, oh, thank <laughs> God, we got to break this season. tonight hey guys what's going on hey how you doing good how are you <laughs> good thanks for having me on I'm, I'm excited to be on and yeah the the news about norm I, I i just got it from you guys and it's heartbreaking man i had no idea that he was battling cancer and as you guys said he was he's one of these comedians that comedians would sit in the back and watch and yeah. he was always very funny i remember him coming to the comedy store and working stuff out and it was always edgy but always funny and yes. uh what a heartbreaker man it, it really is do you, do you, i don't know if you saw it during the uh pandemic but i guess it was like i don't know one of those moments where it was kind of breaking or whatever so they were kind of letting people go back out a little bit somewhere in between but he had like 25 minutes um that i guess he posted on his youtube page or whatever on just talking about the coronavirus and talking about how the manager of the improv told him not to talk about the coronavirus and he was basically like yeah he told me uh, you know that uh, you know people don't want to hear about the virus uh, they come to escape and he's like so i'm not going to talk about it <laughs> anyway the coronavirus you know and it was just, uh, yeah. <laughs> like and he's like one of you's got it you know that right like it was just like pure fucking genius and and he was you know, talking about what everybody, I mean, you know, talking about what everybody in the audience already felt about it. And then he was like talking about how he's, he's like, I'm up here. I can run. <laughs> like, <it was> just <laughs> so, so fucking brilliant. I mean, to the very end. Yeah. And nobody he knew really, he had cancer. Nobody knew. And he was, you're right. And that's, and that's part of, you know, what, what you were just saying about when you're told not to do or say something, the great ones, go and do it. You got to do yeah. it. And, and, and it, it tickles them as well to, to go against the authority who's saying, don't talk about this issue. And you're going, well, I'm the comic. What do you, who are you to tell me what to say and not to say? So yeah, just a tough one. That's a tough, cause it's one of those, it kind of reminds me a little bit when I, I didn't, I didn't know Chadwick Boseman was right. Was sick until he, and I, and I was shocked. I mean, I'm, I'm just totally shocked right now. So yeah. and, a crazy and world, like, man. The balls like, you know, to still like he he did. I mean, they said he had it for a decade. So that means he did it. He did Letterman. One of the final things that that set on Letterman was brilliant. So he was working during that. He was still going on tour with Sandler and Spade and, you know, all those dudes. Um, He was still doing his show, the net, you know, the Netflix one. And then before that, he had the podcast that he was interviewing everybody on. And I I, I can never I mean, I never never saw anything like, you know, whatever he was on David Spade show uh, lights out. 
It's amazing because I'm like when I'm a when I have a cold, I'm down. Like, well, yeah, but <laughs> listen, I mean, listen, my I lost my sister to breast cancer, and I will say she 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 lived for seven years after she got it, and mm. um, I, I think that people like Norm, I don't know Norm personally, but I'm guessing people like Norm, my sister was another who, and most people I think when they get something like that, they really are looking to get back to normalcy and and live their life because yeah. you really don't know. And then doctors will tell you, oh, you have two years to live, four years to live, five years to live. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, who are you to tell me how long I have to live? Yeah. Because I've also seen people who've gotten it and been told they have six months and they live another 20 years. So right. I, I, I commend him for obviously doing that. And um, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, and by the way, having lost loved ones, um, and seeing people like this go, I it, it makes me less and less, uh, uh, less and less religious, less and less having belief in that there's some sort of God or some bigger power. I feel like there's some power. I don't know what that power is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when I and I and I and I hate to say this, but when I see that and then I go, there's a guy like Mitch McConnell walking around. I go, I'm, yeah. are you serious? Are you yeah. are you kidding me? Well, there's no karma. There's no karma. Yeah. I know, dude. I know exactly how you feel. My stepdad passed from cancer a couple of years ago. Same, same kind of a thing where doctor gave him like you have this long or whatever. And uh, I mean, you know, he the deterioration was insane. Like I just remember, like at one point, sitting in my kitchen with him, and he he he'd not been doing so well. And then he was getting treatments and getting some treatments, and then uh, he was fine. I had left for like Florida. I was thinking about staying like I was going on the road or whatever. And he was like, no, absolutely. You need to go. Like, I'll see you when you get back or whatever. And he was sitting in the kitchen, making a sandwich, standing up, everything was fine again. And then before I got back, it was like, they just said he'd get gone and I'd FaceTime with him or whatever and try to make it home. But it was insane. And then the same thing where I'm like, you know, here's a guy who survived everything. He was in, you know, Vietnam. He'd been a cop for 25 years. Um, and then just taken out like that. It's an, it's, it's crazy to see. And then you like, you yeah. know, you got all these scumbags walking around. But I do feel like a lot of the people, like my uncle had a very similar situation. He, he had a very big, strong personality, which I feel like was similar to like Norm, Chadwick Boseman. Like they didn't want to be remembered for having cancer. They wanted to, yeah. it, my uncle used to say, bring me flowers while I'm alive. I don't need them when I'm dead. So yeah, I agree with that. Like they wanted to embrace their moments. And even we feel slighted because they didn't tell us. So we didn't get to see it coming. But yeah. I feel like we appreciated these great artists in their craft every moment without ever having it overshadowed. Be like, he's a great artist with cancer. No, he's just a great artist. And right. Then, yeah. No, I respect that. I mean, listen, it, it, it each his own. Some people choose to reveal that they have it. Some people choose not to. And there's many reasons. I mean, a guy like Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, I know, probably thought, well, no film is going to take me on if they know that I could possibly, you know, go you know get sick and i don't know what norm's motivations were but yeah. you got to respect it all and uh it's a sad day it's a sad day for the world because he was uh one of the good ones man one of the great ones yeah absolutely it, it is weird i feel like i i didn't i would never assume that like uh you know somebody i've never met before like a death would affect me so much but like i don't know if it's because comedians you know you, you they make you feel a certain way when you see them or you're familiar with their work or whatever it is but it fucking hits way harder than like uh, like as soon as i saw it i my heart just sank like immediately and i'm like i don't even, i was thinking about it before i was like i don't even really know the guy but for some reason i feel that loss 
you know, the same way I would feel like if a family member went like it's I don't know. It's just having that person not even be around. It's nuts. It's hard to yeah, get you around. love the guy. You know, you're a fan of the guy. And again, he's a good one. It's not like mm -hmm. um, it's not like you weren't, you know, you, you know, we, we all hear about people who might be well known in their own genre of, of, of whatever they do. And you might not know that person. And but right. you see clips of other people sobbing. And mm -hmm. you go, oh, why are they sobbing for John Doe, whoever that person is? Yeah. Because people connect with those people. People and Norm has done that with us. Norm did that uh, with with comedy fans and comedians. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, man, it's. Uh, and he talked you know. about. Do you remember his special from? Oh God, I, it was the last special he did actually, but I can't think of the the name of it. But it was so fucking good. But he talks about death. I think he lost his dad recently, like during that special. But he talks about cancer, and he was basically just like, uh, he's like, I'm no doctor. He goes, uh, if you ask me, and he goes, and I'm no doctor. Um, he goes, but, uh, when you die, the cancer dies with you. So it's not really a loss. It's a draw. And it was just a great, and <laughs> I, I, remember just, that, I yeah. kept thinking about that. And I was like, that's so fucking good. But like, even then, you know, yeah. he just had a great perspective on the whole thing. Damn dude. Damn, damn, damn. It's fucking sad, man. Um, sorry to start the interview that way, but yeah, right. let's, yeah. Let's go positive, it's a comedy yeah. show, right? I know. Right. It's like, Oh Jesus. But, um, well, I, I was saying like, I don't know. I, I know we had to have cross paths at some point because I remember, you know, you, you did, um, the axis of evil group, uh, with, uh, Dean Abadala. And I know I must've seen you both live. Cause I know your work really well, but how is that like after the anniversary of nine 11 and stuff? Cause you guys were doing, I think the hardest thing to do around that time, you know, uh, comedy about everything that's going on and kind of questioning the response that the United States had and stuff. Did you, did you know the impact you were going to have on the comedy community at that point when you were doing shit like that? Or were you just like, fuck it, this is our opinion. We're going to go out and, and do, do what we I think it's, right. I think it's the latter. I don't think that anybody strategically sits there and goes, Oh, I should talk about X, Y, and Z because this is what's in the zeitgeist It's more. Right. This is what I want to talk about. So, I started doing comedy in 1998 and I was born in Iran. I grew up in America. And as soon as I came to America in the late seventies, like a year later was the hostage crisis. So I grew up as a kid, right. I was in the fourth grade that had the hostage crisis and they would call you fucking Iranian and beat you up and all that stuff. And then there was the Iran Contra affair. Then there was uh, not without my daughter. So I've been going through it my whole life. So when right. I first started doing stand up in 98, I took a stand-up comedy class and the teacher was like, talk about what makes you different and what you know. Well, I was the only student in the class who was Iranian American or Middle Eastern at all. So I was started talking about that stuff early on. And as a matter of fact, one of my early, early jokes that I wrote for that class, I remember it was like, you know, growing up in America was tough because we couldn't get any kids to spend the night because the parents thought when we wanted to the kid to spend the night, they were going to take them hostage. And then I would, <laughs> then I would yeah, that would do like a, that would do like a, um, uh, an act out where my mom's calling them and going, we'd like to keep Jesse for the night. And the mom's like, no, you can't. And we're like, this is, you know, whatever. So it was, it was silly, but it was based on that. And then right. of course, then what happens is before September 11th, I'm a regular at the comedy store. Uh, Ahmed Ahmed is a regular there and, uh, Aaron Cater and Mitzi Shore, who was the founder of the comedy store. Mm -hmm. Well, she owned it. Um, she, in 2000, she was watching the news. She's, she was Jewish and she was watching CNN and there was the latest uprising with the Palestinians and the Israelis. And there was the right. conflict was, you know, g going again. 
spoiling. And she says, uh, she says, yeah, I, uh, she goes, I feel like um, there's going to be a need for a positive voice for Muslims and Middle Easterners in the very near future. This is wow. in 2000. It's almost like she had an epiphany. Yeah. So she puts us together. She calls it the Arabian Nights. <laughs> and so now earlier, I got to remember this is 2000. So there mm -hmm. aren't now, now Dean is doing his thing in, 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 on the East Coast. And, you know, there's Mason Zayed, a few others that are doing East Coast. But for the West Coast, we were the only ones doing it. And there weren't that many people. So when, so Mitzi used to do like, you know, black comedy night, Latino night, women of comedy store. The good news was there's so many people from those backgrounds where she could rotate different comics. And for us, there was like three of us. So all of a sudden she's like, <laughs> yeah. So she's like, okay, she put this Indian guy in there. He's not middle Eastern at all. Uh, we had Sam Tripoli in there. Who's half Armenian. Um, we had this white girl who did a belly dance. I swear to God. So our show it was like whoever you can get that can remotely be related to some Middle Eastern theme. And it was right. called Arabian Nights. Now, as Iranians, Iranians are not Arabs. So it's like right. doing like, it's like doing like, um, you know, doing Mexican night, but having Cubans on, right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so so the Cubans would come up and be like, hey, we're not Mexican. So similarly, after the show, <laughs> Iranians would come up and be like, hey, we're not Arabs. And I'd be like, I know, but this lady started it, and that's what she's calling it. So that was the Arabian Nights. And then, and then so slowly, slowly what happened was when September 11th happens, all of a sudden we get all this attention because people are going, who are these Middle Easterners and these Muslims doing comedy? Right. So all of a sudden, like Newsweek and New York Times and, you know, you name it, we're in the news, we're getting coverage. And that's when Dean finds out about us. And Dean and May soon start doing the Arab Comedy Festival mm. on the East Coast. So we would come out and participate in some of their shows. And then we would put them into our Arabian Night shows. And eventually, when we got to the point where we felt like we could, me, Ahmed, Aaron, we, we took the Arabian Nights and turned it into the Axis of Evil comedy tour. Wow, because we were lampooning. If you remember the famous yeah. speech by George Bush, he goes, "There's an axis of evil." He goes, "It's North Korea, Iraq, and Iran." Right. So we thought, you know, we'll call it the Axis of Evil Comedy Tour to lampoon that name, mm -hmm. and uh, that became the Comedy Central special with Dean on board as well. Yeah, and that was all that. That was a great, great fucking special because I remember my friends and I watching it and needing something like that at the time. Because when you're, you know, like when we were you know younger whatever we have a di different perspective than i think what was going on in the news obviously we're not fans of you know what's happening and bush in general or whatever and then but we were huge comedy fans and we and we got a taste of you know uh what that was like from your your, your perspective and from a comedy perspective as a whole and it, i think it just changed the way i mean for us it did kind of changed the way we looked at everything so did you feel, did you notice that when you were going out to clubs and like getting a response from the audience, did they, did they were like coming up to you and uh, kind of like with a positive vibe? Well, absolutely. So, so I'm actually in this documentary that just came out on uh, vice. Uh, it's on the YouTube channel for vice. If people go oh, to, nice. you know, and you, you enter, it's called too soon comedy after nine 11. Oh, with Ju and, Julie, um, um, Julie. I yeah. Julie uh, Seabog. Seabog. Yeah. Yeah. She's the yeah, one who did yeah. it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually really good. I just watched it. And uh, so they got a bunch of comedians talking about doing comedy after 9-11. And what was interesting was a couple of things. First of all, when 9-11 happened, I thought I could never be funny again. I thought that just comedy died, not just because of who I was. I thought, how, how, do, we ever, how right. do we ever tell jokes again? This is the heart of America. And, and here we are. And it was just I was so saddened by the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But it was shortly thereafter, first of all, I realized, oh, I can make fun of the terrorists. So first right. of all, I started doing jokes about 
the terrorists and who they were and what they were doing. And so, they, you know, you never make fun of the victims. You make fun of yeah. the, the idiots in the in the room. Then quickly when George Bush and the administration turned around and attacked Iraq and I saw the hypocrisy, I go, oh, my God, we have to talk. Like now it's our we need to point this hypocrisy out. And as a matter of fact, I've been watching I've, be, I've become addicted to 9-11 or even terrorist documentaries, because it, there's so many documentaries out there right now that show you how we funded the Mujahideen, we yes. gave them the weapons, yeah. and then once Russia was out of Afghanistan, Osama bin Laden declared us as the enemy, and there were so many missed moments, and then there were so many people allowed into this country that shouldn't have been allowed in this country, and you just sit there and you go, was there a plot that was the CIA was involved? Like, why did, why right. did this... It feels like so much incompetence had to happen yeah. for us to get to where we got to. So um, that gave comedians a plenty to talk about. You know, like the whole, you know, I'm sure you've heard of this line and it wasn't just comedians. It was other people, the commentators would say, yes, Saddam has weapons of mass destruction. We know because we have the receipts. We sold it to him. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's just we, you know, as Americans, we often um, function in a void. It's almost like our history is a week ago. We yep. don't think about oh, yeah. five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years. Even like the pullout of Afghanistan. Biden screwed up the pullout of Afghanistan. Totally. But who got us in there? It was Bush. Uh, right. Who kept us in there? It was Obama. Who did the horrible negotiation with the Taliban and set right. free 5,000 prisoners? It was Donald Trump. So yeah. for people to turn around and go, oh, it's all Biden. You go, wait right. a minute. Are we not going to deal with history at all? So exactly. as a comedian, you got to like take that in and, you know, filter it through your mind and go, yeah. how do I get this point out to have a punchline? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what Access of Evil was. Access of Evil comedy tour, when we came out on Comedy Central in 2007, it was us trying to show this point of view that you hadn't seen on American television. I always say jokingly, I go, it was the first time you had four Muslim or Middle Eastern comedians uh, or, or four Middle Easterners on American television and we didn't all get killed. We lived, <laughs> you know, so we survived right. that episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you guys, so I got to ask because you make a really good point about Americans not want to look back a week later. And do you ever see like, cause I've been, you know, I'm a, I like Bill Maher. I, I've, I liked him when I was in high school. I watched, you know, his stuff or whatever. Lately, <laughs> It's been kind of driving me a little crazy because I feel like the voices sometimes that are the most uh, prevalent on TV or whatever are not saying what I feel like they should be. You know what I mean? I feel like that everybody gets that at a certain point. But he had a um, a piece about Afghanistan and how lucky fucking Americans are. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see the, his, his basic thing? He did this whole thing about because, you know, he's, he's on his little anti-woke um you know, stuff every week, which is fine. I, I have feelings about that too. I'm not a big fan of all that kind of shit. I don't like PC stuff in comedy, but he went like in a weird direction with the Afghanistan shit where he's basically like Americans have no perspective and you know, nobody from America is, you know, trying to jump on a plane, yada, yada, yada. And we have to be happy and stop criticizing, you know, the country, blah, 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 blah. And I felt like, dude, you missed how we even got there in the first place. Like you just said, that kind of shit drives me crazy that it's like all of a sudden it's, you know, let's forget about, you know, all the shit about us funding them, giving them weapons, why we were there, the abuse we caused in the Middle East over the years, you know, all this shit going on. And then this is a guy who's on HBO. Does that fuck you up? when you? Well, hear that I didn't. 
I didn't see the piece. What I know is that on a show where you have an hour, you probably got whatever, three minutes to talk about this subject, right? So perhaps if you got Bill Maher in a room and you're going back and forth with the debate, I don't know. Right. I'm, maybe he would say, yes, I see what you're saying, but listen to what I'm saying here. Because right, right. I think part of, like I try to a fault, I try mm. to be open to arguments. So yeah. when people would say under the Obama administration, Obama wasn't all great because we had the most drone attacks that killed civilians under right. any pr previous president. I would go, you are absolutely right. He was not great, you know, but we also got uh, marriage, equal rights, you know, gay marriage, which was mm -hmm. a great thing. We also got Obamacare, yeah. which gives insurance to people. It's not perfect, right. but at least it's something. Vi the, the opposite, what I saw was when I would talk to my friends on the far, on the right, who I would say, well, Trump, you know, uh, yes, he lowered the taxes for you, whoever this person is. Right. But I would go, but, you know, uh, kids in cages or yeah. uh, a travel ban, a Muslim ban on countries that, that never committed act of terror in America. I would point all that out and they would not be willing to at all go. Too much well, cognitive okay. dissonance. Yeah, exactly. So similarly, I think, I, and I don't know where Bill Marston is, but I think the thing about what he says about appreciate America or like we're spoiled I just had this happen the other day. I was at the Laugh Factory and I was doing my act and uh, and I was doing crowd work, mm -hmm. talking to people in the audience. Happened to be there's a girl from Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I go, where are you from? She goes, Afghanistan. And then she, without me even prompting it, she, I, go, I go, oh, were you born here? Were you born there? She goes, I was born here. She goes, my parents came to America. She goes, from the first Taliban war. <laughs> And I turned to the audience. I go, did you guys, did you motherfuckers hear what she just said? <laughs> the first Taliban, not the first. There's been multiple Taliban right. wars. I go, this girl's family had to flee to come here. And you guys are too spoiled to wear stupid masks <laughs> yeah. or take your vaccines or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And so it just drives me nuts. So we do have, I mean, we hear, and I don't know where you guys we stand do. on the vaccine stuff, but we hear all the time about these countries who are like, please send us vaccines. Yes. And yeah. we're like, I don't know if I wanted it. <laughs> you know, yeah. so there's a point to be made with what he's saying about you don't see Americans Absolutely. jumping on airplanes to leave. I always say that. I go, if you really want to, you know, this whole argument of the, the slogan, make America great again. I go, anybody who's saying make America great again needs to go to like some neighborhood in Mexico or yeah. go to somewhere in Africa, go somewhere and see how the rest of the world is living. America is great. We right. have a lot of problems, but we are compared to what other people are living through, right. we have a lot. Now, that doesn't mean we should just put our hands up and be like, oh, it's solved. No, there's a lot right. of problems. Yeah. So I think Bill Maher in that segment where you said, it makes you want to pull your hair out because you're going, well, what about we went there yeah. and bombed them back to the Stone Age as well? Yes, that's another part of the argument that I would think he would agree on when he would, uh, he seems to be somebody who would criticize our involvement right. in that uh, country. Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I'm for vaccines. I talk about it all the time. I stopped, you know, I had to cancel a bunch of shows because they were doing dumb shit or whatever. But um, the yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, he, he only had a bit a bit of time towards the end. It's that like little essay editorial piece. Um, but I would like to see more of people getting in the same room to kind of talk about that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like to actually go like great counterpoint. But here's you know, A, B, C, and D of how we got there, which I'm sure he knows, but I felt like the message still was like, you know, uh, there's too much criticizing of America going on, which is just odd to me because it's like, we always want it to be better. Like, I felt like, you know, uh, yeah, we have it better than any other country, but it's like almost the same way we're like, uh, 
if there's a better product out there for you. No one hesitates to go for the better product. No one's like, be happy with what you have. You know what well, I mean? The whole, and the, the, you know, the whole point of America is we should criticize and we can criticize. Mm -hmm. That's why, yeah. you know, in, during the during the Iraq War, I remember a couple of times I was doing jokes about Bush, and we were in the war, and there was a girl at the comedy store in the front row. She goes, "You can't make fun of our commander in chief during a time of war." <laughs> and I go, "I go, what are you talking about?" She goes, "I'm in the military, and you can't." I go, "I go the whole." I, I said, "We're we're in Iraq under the pretense of bringing them democracy." So you're mm -hmm. telling me not to make fun of the president, which is democracy. I go, "What are yeah. you what are you talking about?" So. I agree with you. Like for Bill Maher to say, "Oh, you know, be happy," you know, whatever. That's that's. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um, but but the bigger issue comes in, you know. I think some people willfully will ignore facts, or they will um, alter facts, facts to make right. these arguments. That that these are the ones where I'm shaking my head, or I'm going, "Wait a minute, I got to Google after this." So going back to the vaccines for a second, I was just listening to Stern talking about oh, yeah. how he came out and said, get vaccinated. And then there were some people on, um, uh, I think it was Brian Kilmeade and somebody else on Fox, they were talking yeah. about Howard Stern and they're going, well, you know, Howard Stern is saying, you know, um, people should get vaccinated. And the biggest population of unvaccinated people are African-Americans. So that means uh, Howard Stern is probably uh, is against black people. Yeah. And Stern's going like, what, how'd you come to that? And oh, the guy said the highest population of unvaccinated are uh, black people and PhDs, people with PhDs. So I, I had to go, I go, yeah, I got to research. I go, what did it, I go, what is the guy talking about? So right. in researching it, you find out that there is a high mm -hmm. percentage of black people who are not vaccinated. Yeah. And that's got it's, a lot of issues. You know, a lot of people say it comes from the Tuskegee, Tuskegee yeah. experiment. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, uh, black Americans make up, I think, 13% of the population. So numbers-wise, if you look right. at the numbers, extremely, extremely, it's a white population, extremely a Republican population, extremely this population that's listening to, you know, the foxes and the further rights and the further rights. So just the way they spin that, like, to yeah. me, that upsets me a lot more than Bill Maher Right. Ignore, you know, neglecting to mention the rest of the story. These guys are straight up lying, throwing out numbers. And then I have friends who will forward me these types of clips yep. and be like, oh, look at that. You see that? You know, you're yeah. you you must be anti-black. And I'm like, what are you <laughs> talking about? I did the same thing. And I had people in my DMs calling me a fucking racist out of the book, which, by the way, I didn't even understand because I didn't know that they were talking about. Uh, my opinions on the vaccine and the numbers and shit. Like, out of the blue, they were just like, you're a fucking racist. And I was like, what did I accidentally tweet or say out of the blue? And then I realized they were talking about that. It's the same people who constantly throw out, you know, the survivability rate is 99% or some poor shit like that. And I'm like, again, like trying to break down the percentages and the numbers for them after that point is insane because they don't care. They just love the idea yeah, they don't care. I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off because I get no, so no, excited when you're talking about this. They, you don't care, and then they twist things, and yeah. they hear twisted things. Again, on that little segment, and it's funny because I heard I heard it, then I heard Stern break it down, and because when I first heard it, I go, this doesn't make sense. Because, again, Kilmeade goes, yeah, <laughs> these people are saying get the vaccine, but the, vac the vaccinated are the ones spreading the Delta variant, Yes, and they're getting it. And therefore, you know, who are they to tell us what to do? And I go, and then Stern broke it down. He goes, no, the way the biology works is when you're unvaccinated, the, the strains that mutate, mm -hmm. they mutate in people 
because they're able to, you know, the, the unvaccinated get it and then it mutates. So yes. that Delta variant did not happen through, I mean, I don't, for, as far as they I know, did. it didn't happen through vaccinated people. It happened no. through unvaccinated people. It mutated and now we're faced with it. So Absolutely. it's just, just the manipulation of facts and the and, and then knowing yeah. that there's, that those are some of the most popularly watched shows. Right. It, it just remi- it reminds me of when you find out like the Kardashians are the top watch show and you go, well, then I have no business being in this business. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, dude, it's like seeing fucking, you know, when you when with somebody, you know, it's crazy. I feel like uh, for us, it's difficult because anybody that's like coming up with a phone and TikTok at this point, like if you're in if you're a kid in high school, you immediately start out with 5K followers which was yeah. for us really hard to get. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when all this was like the advent of this shit, but like you just, everybody's got it. So it doesn't mean anything anymore. And it's hard to quantify that kind of shit. So yeah, when you see like the most popular watched viral videos or whatever the hell it is, you know, you're just like, I, I, there's no way to get any reasonable, you know, advice or, or anything out there because it's just about the numbers. It's a numbers. Well, you try, to, you try to do things with integrity. You try to do things that are truly funny to you. Once in a while, uh, integrity and comedy and market success happen. Yeah. You go, oh, wow, what a great show or what a great program or what a great uh, special that got seen by a lot of people. Yeah. But quite often, it's the trash that gets through. And that's what basically what Fox News is. I mean, yes. and it's, it's cliche to say it. Mm-hmm. I've tried several times. In all honesty, like once in a while when I'm in a hotel, I'll be like, I wonder what they're saying on Fox about this. Yeah. And I go on and it's just so manipulated. And I'm not saying that MSNBC and CNN don't have their own points of view. I'm not saying that sometimes some of the things they're saying is somewhat manipulated. Right. But I am saying that there's a lot of like when I watch Rachel Maddow, I feel like I'm learning stuff. I feel like they spent right. time doing a deep dive and researching something. And I go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then I go and I, so again, just to make sure that she's not making it up, I'll go and research it. So she just said, for example, with the California recall, she was doing a whole piece on it yesterday. Today's the election. She did a piece on it yesterday saying how on Larry Elder's page, webpage, mm. he said there's something in there that says, um, that says, uh, in America, we have three boxes of uh, three ways of getting things done. Three boxes. One is the ballot box, and if that's not successful, then you go to the jury box, and if that's not successful, you go to the ammo box. So, right? right. And so she goes, and she goes on that same page. They're already saying the day before the elections, they're saying that Gavin Newsom's going to win. This is what Larry Elder, who's the leading contender, is saying. Mm-hmm. Gavin is going to win and that it's stolen. Oh yeah. And I go, I go, is that, are they really saying that? And I come to find out that is now their strategy. Cause you, mm-hmm. you got, I did the research and yes, yeah. that's what they were saying. They're saying that in, in Brazil, Bolsonaro, who's the Brazilian Trump is saying the same thing. He's saying, if I lose, it's the, you know, it's, 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 a, it's fraud. Right. And so again, I don't I don't always take it at face value. I go one step further and I'll do a little bit of research. And when I did, I go, oh wow, Rachel Maddow was actually had done the research and what she was saying was legit. So I feel I, I trust news coming out of Rachel Maddow or the yeah. New York Times to have been more or the Washington Post to have been better researched 
than something coming out of Fox or OSN or whatever the other ones are. No, it's not OSN, you know, OAN, 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah, and uh, oh god, what's the fucking new one that they've got? Newsmax, Newsmax, Newsmax. Jesus Christ, dude, that's insane. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and it and it that's the thing that's hard to get across to people too. Is like because I feel like the right always tries to point out immediately when Maddow or one of those dudes gets something wrong, right? And you're just like it's not a tit for tat kind of a thing here too. There's like a, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a balance system to it too, where you're like, of course they're going to get shit wrong once in a while or whatever it is. But if you're not looking at it as a whole, like they don't care that their side is lying to them. It's all about emotion and what it makes them feel. Does it make them feel safe? Does it make them feel better? Then they're good. It doesn't matter if, and, and there's different people. on. So I have yeah. all these, I have like during the, the, the pandemic brought out the worst, like in terms of, and I think a lot of it comes from because I've been I've been listening to there was a podcast on conspiracies and a lot of conspiracy theorists, you know, conspiracy theorists, they feel it's an us versus them. Yeah. Right. I'm on the good side. They're on the bad side. Well, what a better place to be than to stop the pedophiles. Right. So they're all pedophiles. <laughs> right. I'm now saving kids. So right, right away, I'm a hero. <laughs> um, secondly, there's powers, big, big powers creating something. Mm -hmm. um, that are out of my control and I'm trying to expose this. So interestingly enough, I had a bunch of friends who started going into that QAnon world because what happens is when you have uncertainty and you have extra time to sit at home and go into that rabbit hole, you end up watching things. And a lot of times they're presented in a way where they go, Dr. So-and-so is here to talk. And they go, this guy's a, he's, you know, Dr. Atlas, who was the White House uh, took the White House lead against the pandemic, right. was, I believe, a professor at Stanford. So when you sit there and go, this guy's a professor at Stanford, now not in epidemiology. He was, I think, like, a, um, I forget what he was. It was like a bone doctor, some other kind of doctor. But he's the one who said, let's go for herd immunity. And somebody yeah. did the numbers. They go, if you want to go for herd immunity, you're going to, you know, at least 3 million Americans are going to have to die till we get the herd immunity. Right. So I had these friends I went further and further and it got to the point where like, it's one thing if they would send me an article from the Wall Street Journal and I'd be like, oh, let me read this. Mm -hmm. It's gonna have a conservative skew, but at least it's probably sure. research. I had one guy would straight up send me stuff, long, long stuff. And I thought it was an article until I would re I'd be like, uh, like you know, th you know, three sentences in, I'd be like, God, this isn't written like an article. And then I keep going <laughs> and I scroll the bottom and at the bottom it would be like, Sally, Facebook, you know, spread this. Right. And, and literally like, he said like some of this stuff, you guys was so easy to research. And I think that they choose not to. So he sent oh, me yeah. something. He sent something to this group. I'm on a group chat with these guys. He sent this one thing that said, he, go, he goes, can you believe this? And it was this whole thing saying that England now has in, instructed their schools, their public mm -hmm. schools to not mention the Holocaust, because they don't want to offend any of the Muslim students who go to school in England. Right now, as anybody knows, there's a lot of Pakistani Muslims in England, right. and yeah. I'm sure I'm they're sure. at the schools. But I sat there, I go, huh, how could this be real? And it's not being covered by any of the major news sources. Right. First red flag. Right. Of course. Second thing I do, let me Google it. I go, England, Holocaust, don't mention, you know, don't mention Holocaust, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right away, it comes up like on Snopes.com or something where it's got the explanation. It goes in 2006 or 2007. Somebody put that out into, you know, into the news in hopes of 
uh, um, inflaming anti-Muslim sentiment in England. Wow. And it wasn't true back then. Right. And it couldn't be true. But this guy chooses to believe that. So I was like, what, what is going on? There's a, there's a mental illness going on. I agree. What do you um, think that you know, is, though? Because it's it is weird. I've been in situations where somebody will have, you know, a very visceral response to a piece of information that they got that's clearly wrong. And then you'll have two people like, let's say you've got something that's clearly wrong. And Tom and I are like, oh, no, here's what it is. And it's a better thing. Right. It's like here. You don't have to be afraid. Uh, you don't have to be worried about this thing. Instead of going, oh, my God, thank God you gave me that. I can rest. They still want to be angry about the thing. They, they would rather take the wrong information and feel angry or scared and feel all that negative shit than trust two people that they know and go, oh, okay, this is the better situation. What do you think that is? Well, here's the thing. It's like, for example, you're right. Right off the bat, all these people who are anti-vaccine, you tell them, well, talk to your doctor or find yeah. five doctors and talk to five doctors. Those guys spent eight years of their lives you know, going to medical school to right. be an expert in this. If you want to fix your car, you go to the mechanic. How do you mm -hmm. know more, right? Right. What's well, easier for them to be angry and upset? That's one of the things I've right. said. It's like these same people who you go at, at the beginning of the pandemic. We were told, "Stay at home; it'll decrease the spread." And there was right. a group of people who go, "No, you're you know you're you're ruining our economy. I want to go to work." Mm -hmm. They go, "All right, fine. Wear a mask, and we can go." <laughs> no, I don't want to wear a mask. Okay, fine. Just get vaccinated, and then we can go back to no. I'm not going to vaccinate. He goes. So, what is your solution? Is it right. pixie dust? Is it? I mean, what is it? Is it a genie in a bottle? What is your? They don't have solutions. No. They have this, this, and that's what Donald Trump is the master of. He's the master complainer. Yeah. And he goes, "This is broken. This is broken. This is broken." And you go, "Okay, well, how are you going to fix it? Zero, zero strategy on fixing it. Even during the." election i pointed that out i talked about that in my in my netflix special i i would say you know a lot of people would say i want to vote for him because he's an outsider he's mm. an outsider and i go what other profession do you have where people go i want to be operated on an out by a, i want to i want this operation to be done by an outsider i want yeah. someone who's an eye doctor i want someone who's never operated <laughs> you know so similarly with this guy he gets in and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's right. surrounded by a lot of people who don't know what they're doing and as stories keep coming out we're learning more and more that there was you know this whole thing of the adults in the room there mm. were people who stayed in the game just today the news came out that somebody in i think it was the um in, yeah. in some high up military who, who kept in out. touch with the guy in China. Yeah, he kept in touch with the guy in China to go, listen, by the way, uh, the president's going to be saying some shit about you guys, but don't worry about it. We're not, right. not going to start a war because he knew what the repercussions of a war would be against right. China. That would be millions of people dying all over. So, you know, I think these people who you point facts to that don't want to hear facts, they'd rather complain. They don't have a solution. Mm -hmm. They would rather complain. They would rather accuse you of having some ulterior motive. The fact that they think Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates and all these other people are trying to get rich. I mean, Bill Gates is already rich. Like how much more rich is he trying to get? I mean, right. it's, it's, it's strange. And it's, and then also when you point out the other side and you know, I mean, like, you know, you got a guy like the pillow guy who will be like, in August, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, yeah, I'm going to reveal to you in August how there was fraud. And then August comes and you go, well, where's that reveal? Oh, it's coming in September. Yeah. It's you know, the it's same. Like, go ahead. You know what it is? I'm sorry. I, I'm babbling no, 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 on, fine. but it's, remember 
remember how as kids you would see these televangelists and you go, why are these people giving all their money to this guy? Why is there yeah. a thousand people? That's the, it's, that's the grift, man. And Absolutely. this is the grift. The fact that Trump is raising money right now, he continues to raise millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. And he was clearly was the instigator of January 6th. He Absolutely. clearly, he clearly doesn't give a shit about, you know, these people because he got the vaccine. He could care less, mm -hmm. right? He got vaccinated. He had the best medical care. He got, he, you know, he's, he's fine. Yeah. So he really doesn't care. I mean, if he would have cared, then when he did that speech in wherever it was, Arkansas, when he goes, yeah. I got vaccinated, you should get vaccinated. They booed him he in booed Alabama. Him. Yeah. You know, he might have, if he really cared for them, he would have said, listen, guys, I know you want to boo, but I'm telling you, the statistics show, if you get it, if you get sick, the odds are you won't end up in the hospital. Whatever. He didn't do that. He right, turned yeah. on it. He goes, well, I don't know. I, you know yeah, it, exactly. It, do what you want. Care. I mean, you know, you made kids. There'll be more to people to vote for me. Um, the, the craziest thing is, too, is like, it's very, like, similar to, like, uh, I don't know if it started in 2012, but you know, the whole Mayan thing where all of a sudden they would open up a book and they'd be like, March 3rd, you know what I mean? End yeah. of the world. And then it would come and it wouldn't. They'd be like, you know what we did? We had it upside down. It's actually March, you know, or whatever. Somebody scribbled it out and it would just keep going. And the same people keep believing it. The, yeah. the, do you remember what was it like? Uh, the recent one was, I don't know if it was in 2019, whatever it was, but there was that dude again after they had, after the end of the world didn't come about a, a year ago. The next year came and they picked a different date and this dude packed up his fucking family in a minivan, blew through credit cards, all this other shit in preparation for the end of the world and then drove to the fucking like a clip, like the Grand Canyon or something like that, something crazy and like ended their life, ended everybody's life. And then, of course, you know, the next day rolled around and everybody went to work and it was like, what was the fucking point? Listen, there's there's a lot of mental illness, and there's a lot of I I, I studied this class. It was um, uh, sociology of brainwashing, as well as another one that was a religion and politics class. And there's a lot of religions who will do that. Oh, end of the world is coming. Sell it, sell it, sell it, sell everything. Let's all go to X, Y, and Z place. And then when that day comes, the leader turns around and goes, "Oh, that's God testing our will." You see, he, that was. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Wow. And it's yeah. similar with like the whole QAnon thing that uh, did you watch Into the Storm, the I HBO did. Max? The guy did yeah. a great job. And you come to find out it's some kid in Japan who's like living, his father's living in the Philippines. He's Q and they're getting um, uh, support from some insiders of the Trump administration who go, we can take your tweets and we can elevate them. Yes. So the guy says in the document documentary, he goes, the day of January 6th, he goes, the number one most viewed tweets was Trump and the number two was mine because these guys had an inside with Twitter and we're getting this guy seen more and more. Yeah. And this whole thing of, you see, you, you, you create this us versus them mentality and mm -hmm. it makes it so that it gives you answers. It gives you clarity, right? Mm -hmm. So when so you say Joe Biden is a socialist and a communist, he's going to come after us. There's clarity, right? The clarity is if we let that happen, our world as we know it is going to end. And I always say to my friends who are these, you know, sometimes, you know, they're, they're coming from that side. I go, how's your stocks doing these days? The stocks look like they're doing great. Right. Businesses seem to be doing great. Um, who has come after your guns? No one's come after your no. guns. Yeah. You know, there's all of this discussion this to be had. And then also I step back, I go, do you guys not feel that there's, 
something wrong in this country where, because we both know, we all three of us know that, you know, corporations have more clout in this country than right. individuals. Um, matter of fact, on my podcast, I had a guy, he works with an organization called Represent Us. Hmm. And they're all about working with um, elections and making elections more democratic. And one thing that he pointed out, it goes, a study came out that showed that Congress voted, I don't know, like 17% of the time in agreement with their constituents. And let's say 50% of the time in agreement with the corporations that fund Jesus them. Jesus Christ. And so that's all you need to know. So who funds all this stuff? Who funds this stuff that makes you think that, oh, taxing corporations or taxing people on their wealth is a bad thing? I, hmm. I, guys, I have so, I listen to The Daily, which is the New York Times deep dive podcast. Yeah, it's a great one. They did a whole thing on when they, Jeff Bezos, you know, it, it made me understand for the first time, Bezos pays taxes on, eight, on an $80,000 annual salary that's mm -hmm. all he all pays, pays taxes, taxes on yep. now that he's worth whatever 300 billion dollars and so the guy was explaining how that happens is because because the idea is let's tax the ultra wealthy right the right the multi-billionaires so what they do is a guy like like jeff bezos if i were a doctor who had 50 million dollars and i want to go buy a 10 million dollar home even I, as the $50 million doctor, might have to go sell $10 million worth of my stock. Now, to sell $10 million worth of my stock, that means what? I have to sell $15 million in, worth of, in, in stocks, pay the taxes on that capital gains tax, which is about 20% or something, nice. which is less than income tax, by the way. So a fireman pays more taxes than that millionaire selling his stocks. Let's just get that out yeah. first. So that guy sells and then goes buys the house, but he at least pays taxes on his stocks. When you're ultra rich, rich like a Bezos, you don't sell anything. Right. You go to the bank and you go, "Hey, I want to buy a ten million dollar home. Lend me money to buy the home." And they go, "Well, what's your collateral?" I'm Jeff Bezos. I got half a trillion dollars. Oh, okay, we'll lend it to you, and your payments are going to be whatever. On this loan, your payments are going to be a million dollars a month. That's mm -hmm. fine. I'll go to another bank. I'll borrow from them to pay this loan. Jesus. So he's stealing from Paul to give to what is it from Paul to Peter, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, Paul to Yeah. Yeah. So he's never cashing in any of his stocks. He is simply moving money around and paying paying taxes on eighty thousand dollars. So something Elizabeth Warren has proposed that I would think everybody could get behind. Yeah. She says. Let's tax the same way we do with homes. If you own a home, if the home increases in value, they reassess that value. You end up paying more taxes based on the increased value of that home. Similarly, she goes, let's do a, uh, a wealth tax, which is on certain, like let's say you're worth 50 million and more. Mm -hmm. Well, after your 50 million and more, any income that your stocks made that year, let's say your stocks went from, 50 million to 75 million we want you to pay whatever is three percent on that wealth that you made right now some people might say well, it was capitalism we should be able to pay you know the, the guy made money you should make but no the problem is we've become like we don't have a middle class anymore we're losing our middle class yeah so all of this to get back to the fact of the people who are getting the messaging out 
are these corporations, are these billionaires who are doing these campaigns and they'll, and they'll sell it as, oh, if you vote for a proposition so-and-so, then they're going to you know, take your, you're going to raise taxes on you. But the truth is they're not going to raise taxes. They're going to raise taxes on them, but yeah. they want to make it seem like that. So it's the whole system is screwy. And, um, and I, you know, it's all messaging. The Republicans do a great job of fear mongering and making people vote against their own self-interest. Right. And it's not, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think what's amazing is that they're able to, this, it used to be there was not enough information for us to know what was going on. Now there's so much information that we don't know what's going on because they were able to control the information that's being put out to the people, to the masses. Because everybody wants to be part of that giant group. And then they, instead of saying, I am not educated enough to know this, let me look into it. They just want to go with what they think backs their own belief system, which is crazy. Because if you go spot to spot with these people, if you went just like, it beyond COVID and vaccines or the terrorist events of 9-11, let's be honest, 98 or 99 out of 100 people is good. They just want to get by, have their family be able to get by. Like it, we're all the same, but they created that divert, that that rift in between us saying, these are the bad, those are the bad people. And they want to point to these giant clusters of people where it's not that. It's It comes out to like that one in 100 is shitty. And then 99 out of 100 are just trying to get by, but everybody's trying to get you on their team where you're on my team. You don't want to be with them and vice versa, right? Absolutely. I think also, listen, people have busy lives, right? You're, you know, yeah. you're a single mother, you have several kids, you're whatever you, you, you know, you're running around doing whatever you do. You get, you get preoccupied with football this week, whatever that is, people aren't doing even a slight dive. Like for the longest time, I didn't understand. Like, I was like, why would people who are, um, lower on the income uh, poll, not want Obamacare? Why wouldn't you want right. health insurance? And they sold it as like, this is socialism. This is socialism. Well, you're poor and you need health insurance. So why wouldn't you support it? Because in their mind, they've been told that if this happens, then the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to be, we're going to be bailing out those lazy moms. And of course, when you're, say, you're saying this, there's some right. racial thing as well, right? The black mom is at home collecting Here's a, st and then they'll find one story. There was a black mom collecting food stamps, and then she, she kept having babies, so she would get more money from the government and right. living on the government. Okay, that might exist, but you just like you just said, Tom, a majority of people, whether they're black, Asian, white, doesn't matter, are trying to make a good living. So we go into, for example, this uh, stimulus package that was passed when Biden came in. Interestingly enough, none of the Republicans voted for it. But the stimulus package was something that was necessary at that point. Meanwhile, when there's like government, when there's, I'm sorry, corporation bailouts, when, when you're bailing out General, General Motors, yeah. they don't talk about the debt. When they're bailing out individuals, they talk about the debt. Once that bill passed, a lot of these same people who voted against it were then going on social Earth. media and going to my constituents, uh, I'm happy <laughs> we were able to get you these checks. Yes. So oh, yeah. people aren't doing the click to go, wait a minute, this guy didn't vote for this bill and so next election whether i'm de democrat or republican i'm going to vote in my own be best interest as opposed to just voting for the team that i'm told i should vote for right you know the amount of times uh, i had to remind my i mean i have an aunt and uncle that live in california they're in their 70s they're like my great aunt and uncle or whatever but um they are for whatever fucking reason 
crazy Republican, right? Which is odd because when she grew up, she, you know, she's a bit of a hippie, like that whole thing, you know what I mean? Like, you know, her, her kids are pretty chill or whatever, but they are staunchly Republican. And every fucking time uh, they would talk about, you know, Im immigrants, people coming over the border, they voted for Trump, the whole thing. I would just constantly remind her that my grand, my great grandfather, her dad, uh, was an illegal immigrant from Italy. He jumped boat. He came over here. He lived here and was illegal until he could get enough money, to, you know, to go good green order. And the only difference was that he was just fucking white. And I'm always just like, is it because he's white that you don't acknowledge the fact that he was it's, an illegal immigrant here? Like he had to work. It's the it's the fear mongering. It's the dog whistling. So first thing he said was Mexicans are rapists and drug dealers. Then mm -hmm. he said, then he said that. Um, there's oh there was there was one point where they said uh, as part of the um, the the Muslim ban they were saying that he said something along the lines of he goes yeah these these um, immigrants coming across the border he goes I don't know because he also would say things that were non factual but the way he would say it you would just you know as followers would hear it and be like oh, oh they're, they're, he's saying it happened so he said yeah, yeah, uh, yeah somebody found some prayer rugs near the border so there's definitely ISIS sneaking in through the border. Right. And, you know, so just, and he was like, I don't know for sure, but they found prayer rugs across the board. Now, by the way, that was like on, I think that was on Homeland at the same time. So I don't know if he saw Homeland and thought that. <laughs> I didn't and even by know the that. Way, That's hilarious. Yeah, by the way, but listen, by the way, I'm not saying that there aren't criminals coming into this country, yeah. but the number one logical thing with this Muslim ban, let me just tell you real quickly. Sure. I thought about this. I go, this guy's doing a Muslim ban. Right. And really, the countries were all Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. So people would ask them, they go, So, what about Christians coming from Syria? Would you let them in? And right. I think there was this idea of like, Yeah, well, we got to support Christians. Okay. So, all an actual terrorist has to do is get across. Right. And come over and go, I'm Christian. And you're going to let them in, number one. Number two, if you're a terrorist, by definition, you're a criminal. Right. You will find a way in. You'll get a fake passport that says you're Turkish and you'll fly in. It's yes. not, it's not. Brain science, right? Uh, 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 um, so, brain surgery. Um, it, so, it is this whole thing. And then, and then the next dog whistle was when he was doing an election. He would say, "If you vote for Biden, these people are going to move into your neighborhoods." He wouldn't say black people. What he meant, black people are going to move into the suburbs. Hey, uh, white moms, black people are coming into the suburbs. That was the, there was a lot of subtext of, of that. Yeah, and. I think what happens is, you know, people just, it's, it's a headline, you grab it and listen, you drive around Los Angeles. There's a lot of home. We have a horrible homeless situation. Um, I know immigration is broken. Um, crime is up. I'm not mm -hmm. saying there aren't things to complain about, sure. but I think a lot of people like your great aunt and uncle will hear things like that and they'll say, Oh my God, the gangs right. and the guns and the, and it's easier for them to just go there. And of course, what's the answer? The answer is something that a Republican is saying, which is saying, you know, law enforcement, more money with cops. You know, I'm going to make it safer. Now, will they? I don't know. They'll probably come in and lead and actually make it less safe. I would right. argue that Trump made this country less more safe yeah. in more many powerful. ways. Yeah. yeah. So. Mark Gardana made a great point. He said, how come everybody that was saying they were going to get, well, I'm done with Facebook. I'm done with this social media. I'm done with Twitter. Let's go to Parler. But Parler hasn't made a movement. Who's on, who is on Parler? I mean, I know I'm not, so I can't tell you who is on Parler. <laughs> I have a friend. One of, my, on Parler. <laughs> one of my friends who, who unfortunately, uh, you know, he's kind of queued up a little bit. 
Yeah. Like when when that whole when, when Trump and those guys got kicked off of Twitter, he quickly was like, because we were on WhatsApp, and then he was like, guys, we need to go to um, uh, uh, Telegram, which is the one that's out of Russia. Oh yeah. And I was like, well, I go, what are we? Are we plotting something? Like, why are we moving? It? I go, <laughs> we're already on WhatsApp. Like, why do we got to go? I go, I don't care if somebody's seen. I mean, look, I'm not doing anything illegal. So I was like, it's much more convenient. And we had a history. So we tried to go on Telegram for a minute. And it was just a whole new thing I had to check. And I go, why? Because I'm trying to send encoded messages. I go, get the hell out right. of here. So I went back to, so the yeah. same thing probably with Parler. I mean, listen, anytime you take something and you go, I'm going to give you the right wing version of this, it quite often ends up being really bad. Yeah. And that's not to say there aren't smart people on the right wing, but I remember after the Daily Show came out, so the co-creators of the TV show 24, one of them was a guy named Joel Surnow, and the other guy was Howard Gordon. Howard mm -hmm. Gordon, I've sat on panels with him, and I was on 24. I played in season two. I played the ambival ambivalent terrorist. Right. Who, <laughs> yeah, I, I was like in this truck with a bomb in the back. We're driving around, and then we see some kids playing, and I have a change of heart, and I go, I don't know if I want to do this, and then they end up shooting me. And, um, and I'm like, guys, I was just, you know, just trying to be peaceful here. Right. But um, after that, I sat on panels with Howard Gordon. I've read about, and he was also one of the co-creators of, um, uh, of Homeland. And he has said that once 24 came out, like a season or season, maybe a season in, he goes, I got contacted by some Muslim groups, something called Care and some others who said, listen, the way you're depicting Muslims is having an effect on real world you know on the real world and they mm -hmm. pointed out the violence that had risen against muslims and the sort so he seemed to be open to you know looking at other things and i was always happy when like the the main villain ended up being german or like russian i was like oh thank god we gotta break this season but the other guy joel surnow continued to be i think pretty right wing so he set out to create a sketch show i'm sorry a daily show that was from the right wing point of view. Yes. And it was really bad. Yeah. And awful. I remember they sent me an audition for it. They go, you know, they go, we know you don't want to go in for this. We just want you to see what the material is. Mm. And I got the material. It was so bad. Like it was, it was, there was no jokes in it. So right. this sketch they wanted me to do was they said, okay, it's going to be um, three architects pitching their ideas for the rebuilding of the Twin Towers. And the French architect's gonna come in and show his thing. And then we're gonna have like whatever. The American architect is gonna show his design. And then you'll be the Muslim architect and you'll be like, so I would like to build the two buildings. And I believe we put a bullseye on them. And they go, why would you put a bullseye? I go, because it's welcoming. It says, come in, come towards it. You know, oh like my God. basically playing this idea that this Muslim you know, architect oh, is saying, fly into the buildings again. It was so stupid. Right. And I'm going, God, this just seems stupid to me. But everything on that show was that. So they were trying to be funny, but there was just no, it was all just, it was all just uh, um, biased towards a right wing point of view, but there was no real punchlines to it. I've seen those shows and I remember when they first came out and like, it was a big deal when they first came out with the first conservative daily show and it's fucking awful. It's like Gutfeld now. Have you watched that? fucking car wreck he's horrible he's and i'll be honest with you it was bummed me out because i was watching him rant and i go i go this guy must have this guy sounds like an idiot i go he must have gone to some horrible university i look him up 
he went to UC Berkeley, which is where I went. I go, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't even know he went to Berkeley. That's so fucking disappointing. Yeah, he's yeah. a genuine piece of shit, man. I remember having to write uh, like jokes for comedians that would go on when he had when he had red eye. And it was just yeah. so bad, man. I would just get the top, like, you know, you get the, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but you get those like, um, you know, the, the topics, A, B, C, and it would have yeah. thing. Yeah. And yeah. they were just so fucking contrived, like just bullshit all the time. It was, it was horrible to try to navigate through that shit. Um, do you think like, so we were talking about communication and like, you know, corporations um, and how much they're involved in like the media and shit like that. So with this split, because there's a lot of, you know, podcasts now, um, Joe Rogan's and you got Tim Dillon's out there or whatever. And then you also have still Trevor Noah running the daily show. And do you feel like there's a split kind of even within like centrist Democrats, regular Democrats, and even Republicans to an extent where there's so much of that going on right now? Like the message isn't clear from anybody. Cause you got a lot of comedians with a shit millions and millions of followers, right? Who people come to them because they love their stand-up and they love their comedy and they like the in the interviews are pretty good and they're in depth most of the time. But then you've got them kind of conflating an issue of politics over this pandemic. You know what I mean? Like it's weird because I'll listen to, you know, Rogan stuff every now and again, who I like. I've met him. He's, you know, he's a nice guy and everything. And, you know, but uh lately all the shit that he's talking about is like freedom, right? And whether we're gonna take our whether our liberty is gonna be taken away and kind of like just throwing around the word segregation a lot. That doesn't mean anything in this context, but it's interesting because they're having two different conversations and I have no problem with people talking about freedom in that, in that way. You know what I mean? And, and is there any kind of government overreach? That's an interesting conversation, but not under the blanket of public health and not under the blanket of this pandemic. Does that frustrate you in a way? Like, yeah, I feel would, like I would, yeah, I would agree with you. I, you know, I know Joe from back in the day at the comedy store. I love Joe. Yeah, good guy. And and you're right. I think sometimes I sit there and I'm like, oh god, like there's so many people listening, and my worry is them because Joe's a smart guy too. So my worry yes. is people taking it the wrong way. You know, I mean, there's a lot of arguments to be made, right? So the idea sure. of like, oh, how dare you make us have to get this vaccine? Well, there's plenty of other, you know. You want my kids want to go to school. They have to have certain vaccines, and so at they're least, just adding one more. At least five or six, it. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so right there, there's there's that argument, and then and then there's the other thing to point out, which is like, unfortunately, in this world we live in, a lot of people give a lot of credence to their heroes. So athletes are a great example. You you yeah. go, oh, these athletes are amazing. So they must know what they're talking about. And then you hear an athlete talk, you go, holy shit, this guy's an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, Nicki Minaj just, just tweeted the whole thing oh, of like, I'm yes. debating about the vaccine because I have a cousin whose friend got the vaccine and then his balls got swollen and then his bride left them. I'm like, what? What yeah. kind of, what, what is that? What does that even mean? Like, it's insane. <laughs> What are you talking about? But what you know? a great so, way to get out of a marriage. You you think when you made a mistake, I mean, you're like, babe, I took the yeah. vaccine. My nuts are huge. I got to I got to bail. <laughs> there's probably some woman out there who's in the big nuts who's like, I want to meet this guy. So <laughs> there's also that. But no, but it's it, the, it's unfortunate that, you know, we aren't putting like like this. I had, I had another guest on my show who'd written a book about how the age of experts is dying. People are less yeah. and less likely to listen to experts. And I go. This guy committed his whole life to uh, um, pandemics. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and so when I listen to, you know, 
Fauci or I listen to uh, the head of the CDC now or I listen to all these people who are who live this world. And, and, and by the way, people will criticize, go, well, Fauci early on lied to us because he said, don't wear a mask because the science is changing all yes. the time. Yeah. And when you listen to Fauci, he goes, the reason I said don't go, go wear masks is because we didn't have enough N95s. And I didn't want people to make a run on the N95s the same way they were taking toilet paper and right. then our medical staff wouldn't have it. So, you know, this thing of like conflating science with lying or conflating yeah. the advice of a Nicki Minaj or a Joe Rogan or me or Howard Stern. Listen, sure. If I say like I did a whole thing when the when the vaccine first came out, like I did this little video rant where I was like, people don't want to get the vaccine. Some people don't want to get it because they think they're going to put a chip in them. And I go, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> the government of the United States is concerned with, you, with what you're doing at Tuesdays at four. And by the way, if you're concerned about a chip being put in you, they already have it. It's called your phone. Yeah. So I did a whole rant and I posted it, but I ended by going, I go, listen, by the way, everything I just said, I'm not a doctor. So don't, you know, do your own research. Right, right, right. So, you know, uh, it's just unfortunate because we, we all know that the fans of a person will give a lot more value to what that person's saying. This goes back to what I was saying about Trump early on. I was yeah. saying that when he comes out, I don't think that he in the back of his mind thinks that all Mexicans are rapists and right. drug dealers. I don't think that he thinks all Muslims are terrorists. I don't think, I think there's a lot of this stuff. He knows he's manipulating it. And yeah. I said, the problem is when he says this shit, he's got these crazy proud boy survivalist types who are sitting there going like, see, I told you, Trump said it. Let's go attack the Muslims. Let's go attack the Mexicans. You know, so they're not at all uh, being cautious about the repercussions of what they're saying. And I think right. that as people who are in media, we kind of have a little bit of a responsibility to right. at least put an asterisk next to our opinion to go, look, yeah. this is just me, Joe Rogan, saying what I think. And he kind of well, Please does. do your research. Right. Yeah. He kind of does from time to time. The thing is, is I feel like what people don't understand is Joe Rogan may not necessarily, or people like him, you know, even, you know, the Breakfast Club has got their podcast and they do kind of the same kind of shit, put out information. They get talked about a little less, but like, I feel like they don't necessarily have an agenda, but I feel like the people that do go on those shows do have one. They clearly have, I mean, they're there to talk for three hours, but you know, they're selling something most of the time. You know what I mean? Like those conservative guys, whether it's the dude who, uh, you know, that fucking conservative coffee shop. Or Alex whatever, Jones, that's shit. all he does. Alex yes. Jones will spew some stupid shit and they'll be like, buy my uh, vitamin road. And, uh, you know, he does. He does. That's all he does. But I sit there and I go, how long does somebody like that? How long is somebody like that allowed to exist? Like after he said that the Newtown uh, yes. shootings were were uh uh you uh, know all fake and, and shit, staged yeah. that guy should have been any listener of his should have been like this dude is a complete insensitive piece of shit fraud right. and he needs to go away i mean also, those parents were mourning and he got people to call those parents and start attacking the parents of children right. that were lost at sandy hook i mean what kind of a piece of shit human being do you have to be and yet he still exists and he sells shit in the middle of his spewing his stupid yeah. crap. So and he looks like shit. Know. How do you sell vitamin pills and workout supplements and you look like you should be throwing barrels at Mario and you know what I mean? Like yeah. how do you do that? And the thing and the crazy thing is is there's got to be some kind of abuse like how is it not abuse to take somebody like an Alex Jones or a Ben Shapiro 
both who are clearly on some kind of spectrum. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then, and then uh, like manipulate, cause that is, I think a form of manipulation, right? Because Alex Jones wouldn't have been shit if he had just kept, you know, uh, if he wasn't given a platform, you know what I mean? They put him on yeah. a show and they sponsored him, but I yeah. feel like that was a very, uh, strategic move to make. They're like, there's no way you don't look at that guy and go, he's clearly crazy. Like even when yeah. he was on Rogan's program at one point, I think he said, <laughs> he blurted out, which made Joe like fall off his chair. But he was like, look, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little retarded. Like that was the uh, weirdest, most honest moment from Alex Jones yeah. I've ever heard. Right. But like, he clearly has these moments where he's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like well, I'm it's, a the Jerry, it's the Jerry Springer thing. People want to see the, the people want to buy into that stuff. And, I had Michael Cohen on my podcast. Michael Cohen, mm. who's got his own podcast now, which actually is a great podcast. I listen to it. And he was really saying, did. he goes, with Donald Trump, he goes, I got Donald Trump his first iPhone. And he goes, I remember when he tweeted the birther thing. And he goes, the reaction that Trump got off of saying Barack Obama wasn't born in America. Right. He goes, that made Trump's eyes like light up and go, oh shit, I got to lean into this. So as you said, it's an act. It's WWE. It's wrestling. It's like I'll go out there. I'll spew the craziest shit. It feels like nowadays the crazier they go, yes. the more people start to come and lev- you know, gravitate towards them. And now we're seeing it with these governors who are going around saying no masks, no mask mandates in schools. <laughs> I'm a parent of a child who's 10 years old. Yeah, I want my child wearing a mask. Right. I want them to wear. I want safety. She's not vaccinated. And yet these guys are going further and further and further. Well, and and they're just trying yeah. to be crazier and crazier. And that's the thing, too, man. As soon as it started to become where they were trying to play the angle of which is a great angle, by the way, it's not even an angle, but basically like keep the kids safe. You know, uh, kids can get coronavirus now. Kids are being hospitalized. I was like, they had a school shooting in a kindergarten class and no one gave a fuck. They're not going to care. Like, if you really like, I don't know what is going to get these people to fucking change their minds, but it's gone beyond that. It's like um, Matt said, it's the Vince McMahon school of politics. Just the bigger <laughs> and crazier. Yeah. They were just, they're there. They're we're, there to watch you get hit with a chair. That's what they were. We're all to fucking do. toast in 30 years anyway. Um, that's a great way to end. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask yeah. you, we have to wrap up, but I want to ask you the last two questions that we ask every guest. Um, if you don't mind answering them, uh, one of them is if you can go back in time, imagine if somebody actually did contest and they were just like, I'm not fucking telling you, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh if you can go back in time and ask your younger self a piece or give your younger self a piece of advice that would help you today, what would it be? I would tell him to follow his passions from a younger age. I had immigrant parents who wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor uh, or engineer. And so I kind of got sidetracked for Mm -hmm. for several years. And I didn't start doing stand-up until I was 26. Uh I don't have any regrets because I made some great friends. I had some great experiences in those years. But if I had started pursuing what I love doing, I would have started acting in comedy probably started at the age of 17. Wow. Nice. And uh, the other thing is, what what had to end in your life to get you where you are today? What had to end was me trying to please my parents. It was it was in my mid twenties, and I realized you live once, and you can't live to please your parents, your wife, your husband, anybody. If you find what you love doing, do it. Mm-hmm. It'll make you happy, and then you can make those around you happy. But you only live once, right? So don't live trying to make someone else's you know, dream and make them happy. Live. If you love what you do, go for it. Do your thing. 
Beautiful. Thank you so, so much, man. Thanks for coming on. And this is a great conversation, dude. I'm like, uh, just exact happy we got to talk and finally, uh, meet face to face. Absolutely. I, I just want to, I want to ask real quick, have your parents come around to seeing you do what you love and become successful in what you're in your journey? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So my father had moved back to Iran when I first got into this and, um, he passed away in 09, but he kind of understood he wasn't as you know, well-versed about like, like I, I ended up on a TV show in 2006. I was a regular on it on an ABC show. And I was like, Hey dad, I I'm on this ABC show. And he's like, Oh, good for you. And then I'm like, Oh, they're going to pay me $30,000 a week. He's like, Oh, that's great. <laughs> he understood that. Um, my mom, on the other hand, has been in the U S the whole time. And she's seen me, you know, come up and she's had other people like within the Persian community. I'm very well known. So She'll have friends or somebody else be like, oh, I saw Maz on Comedy Central. I saw him on Netflix. And she'd be like, oh, my, my friend saw you. Although one time she came to me, she's like, I ran into some people at the airport and they said they know you. I said, oh, that's great. She goes, uh, but you know, they told me to tell you, you need to write more new material. I was like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's hilarious. There you have it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Dystopia Tonight.